0: hiding. Anything we're holding on to, Lord, help us repent. Make us repent of our sins so we can just trust in you and you alone. God be with all the churches that are meeting across the world. Be with those uh, the churches that are under persecution, that are hiding, the Christians that maybe can't even meet together because of the because the government's hunting them, Lord. We pray that you are with them. Be with the missionaries. God, it is so awesome that we can come together whether by online or in person to to encourage one another, to spur on one another, Lord, in your name. And Lord, remind us of all the hope and love and peace that we have in you so we can live out this faith consistently before others and say, Jesus' name be magnified wherever we go. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And Paul is going to reveal to us just how much effort we have to put into our salvation. You know, he's going he's gonna to tell us how hard we have to work to become saved and to stay saved. He's going to proclaim all the things, all the steps, all the checklists, if you will, that we have to do to make sure we get into heaven He is going to expose all the pain and the bloodshed and the sweat and the tears that you're going to have to do to get into heaven and to secure your salvation and stay saved. He's going to say all of it. He's going to point out everything we must muster up within ourselves to get saved and stay that way. Oh, I hope you sense the sarcasm. Because that is actually not true at all. Though we easily fall into thinking that it is, we fall into thinking salvation is all dependent upon us. Because what we're going to read in our passage of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, is really the exact opposite of all that. For the gospel in how we are to be saved is actually really shocking. I mean, even God Himself said it sounds too good to be true. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, he says, in light of speaking of the gospel message, God says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So our title today is, How Are We Saved? Let's look at the text then and see what essentially we we can learn. And Paul starts right off in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. Paul is very blunt in answering the question, how are we saved? He says, look, you are not the source of your salvation. The origin did not begin with you, but with God and his grace over you. It was his grace that caused your salvation. How did you become saved? By grace alone. By the unmerited favor of God. God looked at you. He saw and knew your wretchedness. He looked upon you in your rebellion against Him. He saw your perversions. He saw your addictions. He knew the horrid things that you would say and do say. He saw all those lustful thoughts. All those unkind, downright mean things that you have committed And would commit, he knew and saw all your sins. And yet out of his grace, he saved you. You were in a desperate situation. You needed saving God. You did not deserve to be saved for you are a sinner against him and him alone. You were separated from God. You were under his wrath and you deserved eternity in hell. You were, as an old rock song says, that has nothing to do with Christianity, but so frivolously and mockingly sings, you were on a highway to hell. And there was no turning back. And you wanted nothing to do with God, nor did I. Yet, He saved you because of His grace alone. Saved by grace, Paul says. And this brings us to our first point How are we saved? By grace alone. If you notice, as we are going over the book of Ephesians, Paul is constantly speaking on the grace of God over us. Why is that? Well, we so easily try to move on from it. Remember, when God saved us, our sinful nature wanted to be completely independent from God. We were living a life that lived in the lie that said we don't need him in our life. We were blinded by our sin saying we've got it all covered on our own. We We were living a life that was based upon rejecting being dependent upon God for anything and everything. So when God saved us by being gracious over us and saved us with his power of grace... Though we have been freed from the power of sin, the power of our old sinful nature, that old sinful nature, the power of it is gone, but the presence of that old sinful nature is lurking about. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The presence of sin... Though it holds no power over us, it will be with us until we are in heaven. But the fact is, it is still there with us now, which is why we fall into so easily thinking that this whole process, this whole thing of being a Christian and salvation depends upon us to get this Christian thing right. Forgetting that God has done everything for us through Christ, we just need to trust Him alone. That's it. It does not depend upon us to rid ourselves of our sin by our own strength and our own wisdom. But we so easily think that it does. I mean, we start to become legalistic in our way of life. We're self-righteous in our thinking saying we can handle it. We are wise now. We are smarter now. We are mature now and stronger now. It does not depend. We think that because we got our devotions in, we, we found a good church, we, we're praying more, we're reading the Bible more, we're, we're sacrificially giving ourselves and our things to the Lord now. We got this sin thing covered. We can handle whatever is thrown at us. We sadly fall into this trap of saying that, look, before you were saved, hey, you needed Jesus, You know, you have nothing without him and his grace. But once you get saved, then we start thinking, okay, you got to do your own part now. You know, you entered the door, but now this whole Christian thing, this whole gospel thing of Jesus saying it is finished, well, that was only to get you in, but it doesn't keep you there. You know, his grace got you in, but now his grace is just kind of a supplement. You know, you add to your water, it tastes horrible. It's just a supplement now to you and, and no longer your source. But that's not the case. For the word saved here means continually what began in you by grace will continue in you by grace. For by his grace you were saved and by his grace he is going to keep you saved. And by His grace, He'll make sure you stay saved till the glorious end when you see Him face to face. And all that you do then is depend upon grace. That's it. The origin of salvation is all on God's grace. That is it. And you get it and you stay in it, as Paul says, through faith. Which basically means trust. Through trusting in our Lord and Savior. Trusting in him alone. We are Christians because of faith in Jesus. That is it. We entered into the kingdom and stay in the kingdom through faith. We have entered into this astonishing relationship with God and stay in this loving relationship with God through trusting in Christ and his finished work on our behalf. And this brings us to our second point. How are we saved? Through faith alone. We are Christians not because of our progress or increase, or our increasing of doing Christian things. We are Christians in full, in full, because we believe, because we trust, because we have faith in Jesus Christ. See, if you have faith right now in Jesus... No matter what sin you have done, no matter what sin you are wrestling with, no matter what sin you have forgotten that you have done or worried that you will do, if you have faith in Christ, this passage says you are saved and will go straight to heaven if you die. No ands, no ifs, no buts. You are going to heaven to be in the eternal presence of Jesus. On a side note, then, then, this is why we don't fear death or live in the fear of death or respond to things out of the fear of death. Doesn't mean you have to be reckless, but we don't live in fear. We don't live in the state of trying to make sure I do more good things so I can get into heaven. I'm trying to make up for all my sins that people keep pointing out or my memory keeps pointing out. See, Sin holds no power over us. So when the lies come in saying, look, you're struggling with this or that sin, do you really think that you can get in heaven? Because man, your fake is weak and pathetic. You say, who cares? It's not our faith that saves us. It is not our amount or quality of faith that saves us. But the one who we have faith in is the one that saves us. Amen. We are saved by grace, by his grace alone through faith. Faith is a tool in which we receive salvation, no matter the consistency of quality or quantity that faith may be. The, this text boldly states that you can have assurance of your position before God because your salvation is not dependent upon you but on Christ. Faith is not a work that we do. Faith is not a work that we have to do to obtain salvation. Faith is a means in which we receive salvation. Faith is just trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to get nitty-gritty, if you want to write something down to define what true saving faith is, faith is knowing the gospel. It's assenting that it is true and trusting in it. Knowing, assenting, and trusting. That's what faith is. Like the old example of, you know, you see a chair, you know it, and you assent to the truth that it can hold you up. Well, then you have to sit in it to trust in it. Faith is is simply an empty hand that reaches out. It does not save you. You still need saving. There is no obligation of God to grab your hand Because you have faith, for we do not deserve to be saved. But yet, the good news is that he does grab it out of his grace and grace alone. And that is a promise that is made by him. God saves you by grabbing your hand, for you could not save yourself. And he pulls you up and out. And the beauty of this is that Jesus never lets go. He holds on to you and carries carries you all the way by faith in Him. Even when you're tired and distraught or worried or fearful, He carries you anyway. Faith is relying upon what Jesus did over 2,000 years ago to save you. Trusting in His life, death, and resurrection for salvation, not in part, but in whole. So with all this, Paul then says something really quite intriguing. He says in verse 8, And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. So what you have here is Paul saying, look, this whole process of salvation, everything about salvation, all of it, including the very faith that you have, all of it is a gift from God. Everything in regards to salvation has its origin in God and not in your efforts. For all of it is his gift and not of your own doing. Now, I know some of you are thinking, or some of you will think, or at least after I say this, will start to think, if faith, just like salvation, is a gift, does that mean God does the believing for me? No. You do the believing. You do the trusting. You must faith, if you can use it that way. You are still responsible to believe upon the Lord, just as Paul and Silas said to the jailer who asked, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16, verse 30 through 31. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household. So what is Paul getting at here then to say through faith as a gift? Paul wants us to see our complete and utter dependence upon God for all of our salvation and to stop thinking we are self-sufficient even in our faith. For without grace in your life, you have nothing for your own faith would fail. And if you don't believe me, Jesus even said this to Peter. That left to himself, he would fail. His faith would fail if Christ had not gracefully prayed for him. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, I humbly admit, There is a mystery here between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Though all of our salvation, including our faith, is a gift from God, we still must make a choice of placing our faith in Christ Jesus alone. But nonetheless, in this text, the point of this text, even if it boggles my brain, Paul is making sure that you see and get, Everything that you have is a gift from God. All of salvation is a gift. All of it is from his grace alone and nothing of you earns it or merits it. I mean, he doesn't say in the text, it is not of your own doing for nothing. There is a deep truth here that again, I admit it's hard to explain how it works. I'm just glad that it does work. Because without the grace of God in my life, I have nothing and I know I would fail. And the fact, I know that my faith would fail. Or as one person said, it is true that the faith which I am able to exercise is God's own gift. He alone supports it and he alone can increase it. Moment by moment, I depend upon him. If I were left to myself, my faith would utterly fail. So the point then that we need to take away from this at least is that you merited nothing and will never merit anything for your salvation or merit anything to keep your salvation. Jesus has merited has merited it all for us. He merited all the gifts for you and me, merited all of the salvation, as this passage says, even the gift of our faith. Now again, does that take away our responsibility? No. But it does take away any credit that you think you deserve before God. It takes away this attitude of, look at me, God. Look how smart I am. Look how wise I am in choosing you. (laughs) Monocle. (laughs) Am I not better than the rest? This passage says, no, you're no better than the rest. Because what you have is a gift of by his grace and his grace alone. For God did not have to save you. You were only worthy of his eternal damnation. We always stand before God un, as undeserving of any blessing or favor or love from him. The only thing we deserve is wrath and condemnation because we are sinners. One person said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And someone else said with the same idea, the only thing that a man can contribute to his redemption is the sin from which he needs to be redeemed. But on a side note, what this passage means then is that since we have, since that salvation and faith are gifts from God, it means that we can pray for people to come to salvation. We can pray that God, to, for God to open the eyes of people's hearts to see and know Christ. We can pray for the Holy Spirit to quicken the hearts of those we love who want nothing to do with Him. We can be confident that no matter how much one has rejected the Lord, that there's always a possibility that they can know Jesus. That their pride and their anger and their doubt and their sin can be overcome by the grace of our Lord. That the God of the Bible could show up just like He did to the author of the very letter we are studying. The Apostle Paul, who was one who persecuted Christians and he was on his way one day to find more Christians to persecute. And God showed up one day Showed up to Him face to face and transformed Him by His grace. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 9. I recommend it. But the point, but this is the point. This gives us hope that we can pray for those who don't know Jesus and not give up. We can pray that Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 through 27 takes place. That God, as God says, I will give you a new heart and I will, I, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your, from your flesh. I'm sorry, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to work in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We can pray for people and declare salvation to all people with hope and confidence that they can be saved by the grace of God. For we ourselves were saved by His grace alone. Don't give up. Keep praying, keep declaring, keep speaking, keep giving the gospel message. It's powerful. So with Paul saying and exposing to all of us that salvation does not originate within us but is a gift to us by Paul, then also in verse 9 he continues and says, salvation is not a result of work so that no one may boast. Paul truly is planting his feet and pressing in hard that salvation is not achieved by us in what we do. It's all grace. See, one of the most intriguing things, at least I find, About grace or the gospel of God's grace is that not only is it exciting, it's also very offensive. Because the whole point of the gospel is saying you can't do anything to earn salvation or keep your salvation. The gospel reveals you are not good enough to enter heaven on your own, you are not worthy enough to enter heaven or demand blessings upon God from God upon you no matter who you are or what your life may look like no matter how much good you have done no matter how many people like you no matter how much you've been victimized no matter how innocent you think you are you have no claim upon God and his salvation and grace very bluntly says you cannot and will not merit any blessings of God. You will not earn any salvation at all. Not even part of it. Not in a tiny part. Tiny, tiny, tiny. None. God owes you nothing. Why? Because Romans 3 verses 9 through 12 very plainly says, for we all So we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understand, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And this leads us to our last point. How are we saved? In Jesus alone. So grace reveals that you are simply wanted by God because he loves you. That is it. He sent his son to prove that love for you, not because of some inherent goodness in you, because there was nothing good in you as in meritable of his salvation or any good work that you have done or would do to keep or earn your salvation. There is no boasting in ourselves before God for anything. There's only trusting in our Lord and Savior. That is it. The only boasting we will do is boasting about what God has done graciously through Jesus Christ upon the cross. That is what we boast about, Jesus. The Christian faith is not, look at me, big sign, look what I've done. The Christian faith is, look at what Jesus has done. Trust him. And then Paul goes one step further to make sure we really see that we are saved by God's grace and grace alone through faith alone and Jesus alone and not by anything we do or accomplish. He says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul says, hey, look, everything that you are now is a work of God's grace over you and in you. You are a full-fledged product of God's grace. He has made you alive in this salvation that he has given you. The word workmanship could be understood as you are his work of art. I know some of you are like, yeah, that guy's a work of art. (laughs) But understand, you are his masterpiece of grace. You did not create yourself. No, God created you as his new creation of grace. And you were created, as he says, in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus did for you upon the cross. This is how you were able to come about or be birthed, born again. And with this new creation that has gone on within you by faith in Jesus, by his grace. Paul gives us another insight as to why God did this. I love it. He opens up the mind of God. We get to see, we get to be like, what's in there? What's in there? He tells us why. For good works. Created us for good works. And I know some of you are like, "Ah Aha! I knew it! See it! I knew we have to do something, John. It can't just be 100% Jesus. It has to be like 99% Jesus and like 1% me. I have to have the spotlight. I've been waiting for this list. Grace through faith can't be 100%. There has to be something for me. And oh boy, here it is, John, created for good works. You can't get out of this one. It can't just be grace through faith alone. There's something here. Well, not so fast. Some of you are like, who's like that? (laughs) Really, it's me. Because I'm the one that thinks that. And I have to tell myself, not so fast. Notice, first, we are created or saved to do good work. The good works is not what makes us saved or keeps us saved. The good works are the consequence of being created as a product of His grace in Christ. Yet, even these good works which we are made for are covered by His grace or obtained for us in Christ. Notice that Paul says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All the good works that we do to accomplish are not originated in you, but in God. He alone has prepared them for us graciously when He created us in Christ. These good works... Like Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. Like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28. Like love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. All of these have been prepared for us by God that we should walk in them. And notice it does not say work in them. But walk in them. As we walk by faith alone in Jesus, these good works naturally arise in us. So just as we rely upon God's grace by faith to save us and keep us saved, we also rely upon His grace through faith to work these good works in us. We always look to Jesus to change our life by faith in Him. And we believe he will change us to repent of our sins so we can live a life that glorifies him in everything we do. We live by his strength, his wisdom, his ways. We depend upon him and him alone. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says this very same thing that God alone works good works in us to change our hearts and change our desires away from sin and to want to glorify Him. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both, the, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Where are you in that? So even in verse 10 here is all about depending upon God's grace through faith in Jesus to produce good works in us. And this verse says, He will. Good works come as a result or a consequence of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. They are not the source of our salvation. They are the result of it. So even when we fail at doing good works, which we do a lot, we're still saved. So what does this all mean then? Well, think of it this way. As you go deeper and deeper into understanding this gospel of God's grace, it frees you more and more from any burdens that you have. Or really, it reveals how free you are in Christ. It frees you from trying to obtain a certain status in people's eyes, for you have all the status you need in Christ. It frees you from controlling people to make you feel like you have some worth, Because you have all the worth you need in Christ. It frees you from living a life that is centered all about satisfying your needs, your desires. Because it all has been met in Christ. And it frees you to deeply or serve to deeply invest in people and take chances on loving people because you're not looking for anything in return. You're more open to people because you're just looking to give. That's it, not take. Life becomes about a wanting to do things out of love for God because you actually love Him and you know He truly loves you. So you end up doing good work simply because you love Him. You follow Him and His ways because you love Him. Not to make you saved, but because you are saved. You have this desire to do good works, like going to church to hear His word, singing with His people, loving upon His people. You have a desire to read the Bible, to pray, to evangelize, to to give your finances and time to the Lord, to help the poor, to love your enemies, and so on and so on. Now, as imperfect as these desires may be or as inconsistent as these good works may be, they will still show up in your life even if they are just snippets. In your life. And some of you are like, yeah, I got a lot of snippets. Don't watch the movie, just watch the trailer. (laughs) It shows the good stuff. But the point is, the evidence of good works will be there because it is the consequence of being saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That is the result of relying upon his grace alone. The deeper into grace you go, the more free and willing you become to do more things for the Lord because you realize more and more the sufficiency of His grace over you. Grace frees you to do good things. It frees you to serve and to do what His Word says because you want to and are relying upon God to give you the strength and wisdom to do it. Grace changes us to love doing what he says and to want to be obedient to him because we love him. Not to gain anything, for we have everything in Jesus by faith. And when we fail, which again, we will a lot, we get right back up again by trusting in his grace, knowing he still loves us and he still cares for us, and start living again according to his will in in our life. Not because we have to. It's because we want to. For our hearts have been changed by His grace. There's a transformation that happened. We know that, and it's because we know that God loves sinners. And He has provided everything for us by His grace through faith in Christ. See, Christianity is not a checklist. It's not a 22-step program in becoming the better you or having a better marriage or being a better CEO or being a better boss or being a better neighbor or being, or being or being or being or being. It's not any of that. It's just simply, I want to love you because I'm loved. I want to do good things because all the good things have been done for me and Jesus. That's it. Christianity It's all about how everything has been fulfilled in Christ. Christianity is all about trusting in Jesus. That's it. So as the title asks, how are we saved? We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, leaving everything else alone. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for... God, I pray if anyone here is struggling, having a hard time feeling the burdens of life, feeling the burdens of their home life, their work life, or maybe just their physical life, feeling the burden. Remind them, Lord, that they are free in Jesus by faith in Him. That there is no burden. They can simply just be. They have everything they need in Your Son. And they can freely give themselves away to all those around them, declaring Your mercies, declaring Your majesty, declaring Your beauty, declaring Your grace. Lord, help them find fulfillment in you. For you say in Psalm 37, you will give us the desires of our heart. And God, I pray our hearts, the desire is to know you. Because that's the only thing that can fill our hearts. God, I pray if someone doesn't know you today, that they come and they know you right now, that they say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of your grace, and they turn and trust in you. And God, I pray for all of us here, that we can be vessels of your mercy, vessels of your grace to encourage one another and all those around us when we leave to say, Jesus has risen, there is hope, and we can live in that hope. We pray this in your